Hello, everyone, and welcome to our July bonus episode here on Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, you know I love a good ranking. I know you love a good ranking, so you will be especially excited for this episode where we're going to rank all 17 formats since we started doing the podcast. I am so excited. <laughs> yeah, so I got the idea for this episode because uh, as a as no sur- surprise or shocker to our listeners, I think uh, we are not a huge fan of the current set. And I was thinking, well, I wonder where it, it matches up to the rest of the sets and what the sets are that we like or, or don't like in terms of our memories of them. And so uh, we decided to give it a go and rank all 17 of the, the main sets that have come out since we started doing the podcast uh, four years ago. Our first ever episode was a, a review of of Hour of Devastation. So that's our first set there. And we're going to go ahead and not include the sets uh, like that are, that are Master sets or, or the Modern Horizon sets. So Modern Horizons 1 and 2 are out. Iconic Masters, Masters 25, Ultimate Masters, Double Masters, and Commander Legends. Those are also not eligible for this ranking. Wizards is almost as big a fan of the word Masters as they are Mythic. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Lots of, uh, <laughs> lots of Master sets there, for sure. So I think before we dive into the rankings, we want to talk about the, the characteristics that make a good limited format. You wrote an amazing article about this for Cardsphere back in the day before we were writing for Channel Fireball. Yeah, uh, so I wrote this article called The Eight Characteristics of a Great Limited Format. And uh, so we'll just rattle these off here. And I think both you and I agree with these being like important to Limited. And I think at the time I had used like my favorite sets like Hour of Devastation and Concept Tarkir and maybe Innistrad as, uh, as baselines for what I was thinking about when I wrote this. So number one, I have Colorless Mana Fixing. And worth noting, these are not like in importance. These are just the eight great characteristics right we're not we are not ranking this is a ranking podcast but we are not <laughs> ranking the characteristics of limited formats so number two lands as viable draft picks number three strong removal at common number four rares and uncommons worth building around number five synergy decks that are greater than the sum of their parts number six graveyard interaction And number seven, aggressive decks to keep the control decks in check, which has not been a problem for limited formats of late. No. And number eight, ways to mitigate a mana flood and mana screw. So those are sort of the, I guess, the umbrella ideas about what make a great limited format in our mind. And I think surprisingly to me, you know, I sort of threw out a a ranking list here of, of the 17 sets. And it wasn't that far off from yours. And I think, you know, we sort of like... I think it was important that we didn't really deviate and have like two different lists of 17. And I think we're both pretty happy with the order we've got here. Yeah, there was not much haggling involved at all. Yeah, I think. And that just speaks to I think you and I both being fairly similar about magic and what we like Mm -hmm. and draft, you know. Yeah. But also there just is a pretty clear delineation, I think. You know, one of the things you did when you set out the show notes was group formats into like top tier, mid tier, bottom tier. And those I agreed with almost completely. And then we just had to like dicker and deal about the order just slightly inside those. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, (laughs) let's start things off here with number 17. And I I think it will come as no surprise as the inspiration for this list. It is Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Boom. Get roasted, (laughs) AFR draft. (laughs) So one of the things we're going to look at when we look at each of these sets in this list is what the best deck is. And the best deck in AFR is red, black, treasure, slash, sacrifice, slash, splash, slash, aggro, slash, control, slash, whatever you want. And I think that's perhaps one of the reasons the format doesn't quite have staying power for me is is how big of a disparity there there is between this like S-tier deck and the rest of the decks. Yeah, it's crazy. And you know, finally last night, I had a draft where I couldn't really draft red black. And I got pushed into green blue. 
And it was such a relief like to not have to do that other thing. It was nice. So I wish the format would get to the point where enough people are trying to draft red, black consistently that that happens more often. Yeah, I think we always say that we always hope that like things will shake out that way. Right. We're like, well, once everyone catches on, a lot of the times everyone doesn't catch on. Right. Maybe you'll have some some drafts like the one you had, but I feel like by and large, it just doesn't happen. I think the player based on arena may just be too large. It's possible, certainly. So speaking of AFR, dungeons are pretty sweet, but they're just a little undersupported with venture as a mechanic, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it's not like really able to compete with the best aggro decks, but I do think it's a it's a cool mechanic. And especially in, from a flavor perspective, I think kind of a slam dunk in terms of what they did with the set. Yes. The first time I saw Dungeons, I was like, whoa, that's so cool. It just was it made so much sense. It was perfect. Yeah, I, I really agree. I think Hobgoblin Captain is perhaps too OP. It's, it's the best. I have it as the third best common right now behind uh, the two removal spells, Grim Bounty and Dragon's Fire. I haven't really thought about it that much it's very good i haven't been able to pick up a lot of hobgoblin captains lately so i'm not as hot and bothered by it as i was early in the format but i agree it's very strong certainly the best aggressive creature in the format Uh, another defining feature of this format it's not quite like there's not build arounds but there's lots of mythic uncommons in the set right like reaper's talisman skullport merchant battle cry goblin I, i think plate armor magic missile right even some of the the gold uncommons like Brunor Battlehammer. They just feel like game warping effects a lot of the time. Well, and I think there's just also a lot of cards that create feel bad moments like Talisman is very difficult to interact with when it gets going. Mm -hmm. Thieves Tools, very difficult to interact with or just like invalidate sometimes you taking control of the game and stabilizing or cards like Dawnbringer Cleric or Plundering Barbarian that just are these huge swingy effects that don't always hit when they do just dictate a lot of what goes on in the game. Yeah, for sure. And what's our last point here? Blue is horrible. <laughs> yes. Right? Like it's so bad. The color disparity between blue and the next best color, which is probably green or white or black, depending on your viewpoint. Mm-hmm. I think probably green for me. Yeah, me too. Is significant, right? The the other four colors are all fine yeah. and super draftable. And blue is so much weaker than all the other colors. And I think color disparity like that, I, I, that, that could even be one of the eight characteristics of a, a limited format. Like if there is color disparity, I think it really makes a format stale quickly. And we'll see that in the bottom half of our, our list here, that oftentimes there is that 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 element of, hey, color X is way worse or sometimes way better than the rest of the pack. And that just doesn't make for an interesting limited environment because in theory, right, you ha- you you should have this idea of, well, draft is self-correcting and so that's eventually going to happen. And maybe in pod that's true, but that's just not the world we live in anymore with leagues on MTGO or the way arena is structured. So you just are, are not really able to have that sort of smoothing effect and it just leaves that color being left either at one pole or the other yep moving on to number 16 we've got corset 2020 yeah so i gotta tell you it was hard for me to remember the three corsets so 19 20 20 and 2021 it was hard for me to figure out like okay from my memory like what were these sets about and so then i went back to look at the spoiler and i was like okay corset 2020 this was the elementals format and so this this best deck was teamer elementals i don't quite remember which flavor it was i feel like red green blue red and blue green were all viable i guess if i had to say which one was the best it might have been blue green because 
Risen Reef was so busted. This was the like three mana one one elemental, and then like it, it and every elemental like came into play. You looked at the top card of your library. If it was a land, you could put it into play. Otherwise, you got to just put it into your hand, which was nuts. Yeah, card was very very good. I think the thing that sticks out in my memory for Corsair twenty twenty is elementals and Cloudkin Seer as well, which is the two one flying two in a blue and when etbs you draw a card just super pushed and i kind of remember around this time was the start of wizard's fire philosophy for designing which is where they were you know pushing cards and that ultimately led to throne of eldraine being busted but they were also applying fire to limited like they wanted us to have better and cheaper and more efficient commons yeah for sure cloudkin seer i think was the start of like holy cow like tacking on draw a card to this was insane um and that has not i think shown true over previous sets but this was by far the best common in that set. This was also the format where white was just really rough, right? It had raise the alarm, which probably was the best white common. It was one in a white make two soldiers at instant speed. And then, you know, this was where we were really fighting the war against pacifism, right? It just was not good in the format. And we were getting so much pushback on it. Yeah, pacifism, I think this was its start of being quite bad. We'll see it bad again in other sets like a Corio or whatever. It's just not a great effect. Um, yeah, it was really hard. I'm, I'm just now looking over the commons uh, in Scryfall. Do you remember Battalion Foot Soldier? This was the like catch them all. Two and a white, two, two, and ETVs. You can search your library for any number of cards named Battalion Foot Soldier and put them into your hand. Do not remember that card. It was so bad. And there's just like all these awkward, like, just like little dinky flyers, two mana, one, three flyer, three mana, one, three flyer vigilance. Like white just couldn't catch a break in this set. The other deck that I remember from this format, I think shout out to Alex Nikolic for, I think, really discovering it or really bringing it to my mind is the mono red aggro deck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was like it was like Scorch Spitter uh, at the number one slot. And that was also an elemental. But it was just like basically built of commons. And it really came together a lot. I think I think definitely in best of one with drafting against humans. I think this was just a pretty underrated deck. It eventually got there. But I think uh, I think this was something that was a, a bit of a sleeper for a while. Talk to me about Acuity 2.0. You remember this. This is my favorite deck in the format because I always try and just do like derpy stuff in these corsets. Um, but this was the the Loaming Shaman plus Recursion. So Loaming Shaman was two and a green for a three two. When it entered the battlefield, you uh, could shuffle any number of cards from a graveyard back into their library and so you just needed like loaming shaman with either like another loaming shaman or some way to recur it so that like when it died you could then shuffle back in that piece of recursion and you just got to build this like infinite value deck and we'll talk about acuity later on in the episode when we get to ravnica allegiance but this was sort of another version of a style of deck where it was like as long as you don't lose the game you win the game yeah, for sure. I, there's a couple cards on this list in the Loaming Shaman thing. Blood for Bones. Love that card. It's where you sacrifice a creature and then you return a creature from your graveyard to the battlefield and also a creature from your graveyard to your hand. Very strong. And Pulse of Moras is another pet card of mine. The 2G instant speed, return a creature from your graveyard to your hand and gain six life. Yeah, for sure. All right, moving on to number 15, we've got Core Set 2019 here. Uh, where the best deck was red, white, aggro, go wide. Though, if you talk to us, you wouldn't know it, Ben. It was weird, right? Everybody thought that was the best deck. Ben S was championing it. And we didn't draft like specifically red, white and like the Ben S version of red, white that much. And we kind of got some flack for it on the podcast. And I think both you and I took it to heart well in that, you know, we made an effort after that to experiment and draft other decks outside of what we were just winning with. And I feel like this was maybe around the time or maybe it was after this that we just stopped tracking our win rate so much. And so there was a little bit less 
pressure to just always try to win and gave us a little bit more flexibility to push out and explore more decks quicker in the format. Yeah, I remember I, I had not drafted red white in my first, I think, hundred drafts of the format. I remember <laughs> that pretty clearly. Like I did not get to do that deck uh, until quite late in the set. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think it definitely encouraged uh, us, me specifically, to to explore more, make sure we got our, our hands on as many decks as possible early on. This was the start of the Holy Trinity, Ben. This was Pegasus Courser into Starcrown Stag into Angel of the Dawn. This sort of like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Three, four, five mana value uh, curve out in white. Oh, yeah. Picked that out from the start of the format. And while I didn't draft red white that much, I drafted white almost every draft. Those three cards were absurdly powerful in that format. There was a lot of feel bads in my mind in this format. And it's one of the reasons that that it's so low in our rankings. Uh, Vine Mare specifically, this was a four mana five three with Hexproof and green that had a lot of feel bads. There were these two like oops, I win cards in Declare Dominance, which like gave a creature plus three plus three and it had to be blocked by everything and sleep. Thank God we haven't seen that in a while Two blue blue for a sorcery tap all creatures your opponents control and they don't untap during their next untap step. A lot of cards like that that I think create just sort of like feel bad moments or like invalidate game states. But I do think the flip side was it, those cards like taught me to keep the board clear to like mitigate the feel bads of those. But I still uh, that still left a, a bad taste in my in my mouth after drafting this whatever now almost two years ago. Yeah, I like this format. I'm a I'm a Corset 2019 apologist. I, I got you to bump this ahead of Corset 2020. I really like this format. White was great. I think green was significantly underrated. There was a really cool mono green deck you could draft that was just very beat downy, but I think ultimately not a ton of depth. Yeah, for sure. Next up is Corset 2021 at number 14. Best deck Green White Counters, shout out to Drowsing Tranodon, baby. Yeah, Niagara was king here, and I think especially Green White Counters. This is, I do think, the best of the bunch of the corsets, though I will say the disparity again here from colors, that this is almost as bad as AFR in my mind is how bad black was in this format. It was literally unplayable in best of one, I think. It was rough for sure. Like it just didn't get to play aggro at all very well. And then its control stuff wasn't great. And I remember we were just like, we're losing our mind with the, the removal spell, right? The grasp of darkness, black, black for minus four, minus four until end of turn. But that was just so hard to like feel good about because you had to be so heavy black for it. And black just didn't support things very well. Right. It ended up not being in the top five commons because of that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of top commons, how about Drowsing Tyranidon being ahead of Llanowar Visionary, right? We thought Llanowar Visionary, the two and a green, two, two, tapped for a green mana, but also when an ETB do draw a card. I think we were just all like, oh, snap, it's Cloud Concealer again. And it just ended up not being the, the best common in the set, which is kind of wild. And a lot of that was due to the speed of the format and just, you know, the, the rules of the road of the format or whatever it were, you know. Um, I think Alex was the first person to kind of start writing those articles mm -hmm. or just how you have to engage with the format and... It's true. Like you just had to play Drowsing Tranodon. It was a Drowsing Tranodon format, not a ramp and do big things format. Not at all. I think this is the start of me really noticing the difference of like the line in the sand between three mana value or less and four mana value or more. I really took that to heart of like the cards that are four or more really have to matter, really have to like push your game plan, affect the board, etc. If you're aggro or like really stabilize you if you're not doing the aggro thing. 
Yeah, for sure. I will also always remember this format for Seasoned Hallowblade and Baneslayer Angel. Yes. That is just a super fun thing. So Yeah, for sure. <laughs> shout out to Baneslayer Angel. Baneslayer Angel. And I have to shout out the shrines in this format, which were very bad, but very fun. I had a whole like shrines week on stream where that's all I drafted. Like I just like didn't pass any shrines when I saw them. And that was not a good strategy, but it was a fun strategy for sure. But like this was, I think, the best of the core sets. And I don't think it's any surprise really that the four core sets, AFR as an honorable core set, are our bottom four sets of the past four years. Yeah. So where does that take us? That takes us on to number 13, which is Strixhaven. Wah, wah. Yeah, the best deck here, no surprise, this very recent, was Silver Quill. So that's black-white. And again, these these guild sets are going to be at the bottom of the barrel mostly for us because of, you know, it's it's constrained in terms of the, the reduction of decks that you can draft, period. At least this one had a secret sixth deck in Demir, thankfully. But it had basically two decks that failed a lot, which were Black Green uh, in Witherbloom and Red White in Lorehold. Yeah, honestly, I think Red White was better than Green Black. Red White was, in my mind, it was really only Black Green that didn't get there a lot because Red White was sort of Silver Quill Light and then Prismari was kind of Quandrix Light. Yeah, for sure, right? Like they, they were, you know, based off the the power of white and blue, respectively, as we talked about, like those are the colors you really wanted to get into. And shout out to Barian Books, right? Super OP, ruled the format, best common b- behind environmental sciences, which we'll get to in just a second. But yeah, I thought Barian Books was just a, a crazy powerful card. Yeah, one of the things I was most excited for coming into Strixhaven was just the flavor of it, which was new for me. And I do think that held up. I really enjoyed going to wizarding school as it were <laughs> and you know like they sent those letters out to content creators and I, I will always have that letter and i think i will always save it it was pretty sweet oh nice yeah i mean uh, along the lines of that flavor i do think learn lesson was a slam dunk limited mechanic it was really really good it was so powerful right we missed pretty hard early on on card evaluations just on realizing how powerful learn lesson was but all it took was a day or two of playing the format and we course corrected super quickly yeah it was it was tough to know like what was you know which which of the two pieces was going to be more important to value and that ended up being you know different along the way like the, the really strong learn i think was obviously better than the lessons but yeah really really powerful and and did elude us just a little bit initially in the format but i i will say just you know the, the fact that it really boiled down to silver quill and quandrix and then like you know prismari fine Lorehold fine sometimes and black green being um, pretty, pretty darn bad, I think just left this format feeling stale too quickly. Yes, completely agree. Next up, another guild set here. Number 12, we've got Guilds of Ravnica. And I couldn't quite decide which of the two decks were best. Was it Boros or was it Demir? I think it was Boros in my mind. Okay. But that was a lot of drafting with bots also, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. This was your first like grind to mythic set. Yeah, it was horrible. I literally never want to play another game of Guilds of Ravnica because I played so much and the bots were calibrated so that you were either Boros or Demir. And it was so hard to get an edge in Platinum, Diamond. I I played so much Guilds of Ravnica, but we did ultimately get to Mythic. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Both of those decks are really good and and on two pretty big ends of the spectrum. You know, Boros was this mentor aggro deck and Demir was like surveil controlling. I guess you could have like a tempo-y version of Blue Black, but it was mostly trying to just get to the, the mid to late game. And then all the surveil stuff allowed you to manipulate the top of your library super heavily. Was this the first set that was on Arena? It was the current set 
when the beta went live. Right, because that's my memory is that that would have been why I was so excited to get to Mythic. Because the reason I wanted to get to Mythic was that, you know, I'd always played Hearthstone with my brother and we never quite could get over the hump to get to Legendary. And I was like, all right, I'm good at magic. I'm going to be Mythic on Arena. And how did that work out for you, Ben? You love it to this day, right? You love grinding to Mythic and you love Best of One. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, (laughs) We have to shout out one card here, which is Glaive of the Guild Pact. And this was like basically the only, you know, gate matters or like reason to draft gates in the format and we loved this card glaive of the guild pact was so good it was so powerful and so underrated for so much of the format yeah it just turned all of your cards into super duper threats um i do think golgari and selesnia got a bad rap i don't think they were as like like i guess selesnia was probably the worst of the five guilds and i think it was better than say witherbloom was in strixhaven yes and i think it was a little frustrating too because it was the bots right also i think in people drafts you know like on mtgo or whatever you could draft golgari and Slesnia if they were open if everybody else was fighting over the three premium guilds exactly right you had to make sure you were the only person at the table doing it but if you were you got a good deck i think um yeah this is interesting this is the start of people having warped or different perspective of sets based on the bots you know i think a lot of these sets will get bad raps because people are like oh the bots did x like like this was just boros or demir is how people will remember guilds of ravnica and it definitely had more depth than that and i think that's why it's now it's you know it's not a fan favorite of ours by any stretch of the imagination but i do think it's you know it's better than strixhaven and better than those core sets right i do fondly remember glaive of the guild pact and also golgari and selesnia were the best home for that right because Mm -hmm. you got those guild gates because nobody else wanted those guild gates exactly and those were good homes for splashing because you were base green etc all right moving on to number 11 with zendikar rising best deck blue green kicker like and not even close i think just largely off the back of how nuts roost of drakes was i think it's kind of close right wasn't black white clerics very good also yeah, when that's it came true. together that's and true. a little more supported at common yeah maybe that's true yeah that's right that's right the, oh gosh that uh what the three mana one four and white that had that was basically like a soul sister and then black had the three two that like whenever you gained a life the opponent lost a life yeah okay that's fair i was trying to remember because i get just kept getting lost in my like grow tag bug catcher love i was like which was it was a red white warriors <laughs> red white party which were also good decks but yeah i do think blue green kicker was the best of the bunch and blue red wizards was also very strong as well blue red party there were there were some good decks in zendikar rising yeah so why is this perhaps, I mean, this is like now we're getting into like the middle of the pack here, but what were some things that that stood out to you in terms of being great and maybe some things that were not so great about this set? Well, I think the first thing that stands out is MDFCs, right? The modal double-faced cards mm-hmm. that will always be the the link I have with Zendikar Rising. And there was just this huge roller coaster of evaluating them, right? All of the content creators came out hard, like these are lands, they're going to be extra cards you can put in your deck. They're awesome. You know, they're better than all the commons and most of the uncommons. Now, they're very, very good. You should pick them super highly. And then there was this whiplash effect where, you know, we kind of realized, oh, we were a little too hot on those. And I think people started to undervalue them mm-hmm. a little bit. And I think the, the ultimate story was they were fine. They were good. They didn't really pull you into their color. But once you knew you were drafting, you know, blue or whatever, you were very happy to pick up the blue modal double face cards. Yeah. I think it it largely just came down to party and tribal were more important, right? It was more important to find or carve out your lane first. And then, you know, you wanted to have two to three MDFCs in your deck, but that wasn't like the driving force. And those like monstrosities of like six, seven, eight, nine MDFCs, those became 
less viable and, and less valuable decks in the format. Right. And they almost were their own archetype mm-hmm. in a certain sense. It was like MDFC, I'm able to stretch my mana base because I have so many MDFCs and then running, you know, essentially whatever, 27 spells and 20 land or something. Right. Yeah. I, I do think that this is another set where we had a pretty big color disparity, right? Green was the worst of the bunch here and and, and white maybe not close behind or not not far behind in terms of where it was in fourth but outside of blue green green just didn't really get to do very fun stuff and that's because it was not a party or tribal color yeah and i think these tribal sets and sets that just are on rails with color pairs you know this wasn't necessarily a guild set but it almost essentially was well yeah you you, you're talking about black white clerics and so it's very clear like what you're supposed to do once you're in black white it's like this is the thing and i guess you could do black white sometimes with these with the tribal thing the twist on tribal in this format was were you hard tribal or were you doing party and trying to get all four of the tribes and that was an interesting twist but still wasn't that exciting right and i think you know if you're if you're tracking things in a big picture like zendikar rising for me is right on the border of bottom tier and mid tier and i think talking about it here i think i would categorize this as a mid tier limited format yeah i think i'm fine with that so i think our our divide here is going to be Guilds of Ravnica and below. So if you're following along at home, number 12 and below, that's our that's our bottom tier. And so now we're in the mid tier here with Zendikar Rising and moving on to number 10, which is Theros Beyond Death. Another color disparity set, but in the other way, right? That black was super duper OP. And I think the best deck was just sort of black X escape. I, I couldn't quite remember. Right? It was like black X escape. There was red, white heroic. And then there was like blue, white dream trawler. And those were like the decks. Blue red was also very good, right? There was a really good blue red deck built on the back of mischievous chimera and just kind of always played at instant speed. That was kind of the ham TV deck, right? I thought he was more on the red white deck, but yeah, I, I, I don't remember you. You put blue red tempo super good here. I have, I do not have memories of this deck being in competition with the others, but I also at the time was really not a fan of this format. Yeah, I think this format did not sit well for both of us. I will say I came to appreciate this format more and more and more as time went on, because initially in the first week or two, I wrote it off as, you know, Prince format bombs, this format's stupid, like you can't really do things at common. And it turns out you could. I mean, there was red, white heroic. And I think the next evolution of that was this blue, red tempo deck. There was really strong stuff to do in white aggro at common. Mm -hmm. I think just the game of chicken ultimately for whether or not you were going to draft black was a little weird, I think, you know, just trying to decide whether or not you were going to commit. But I think there were a lot of lessons to be learned in this format. And I I did appreciate it quite a bit by the end. And the other thing that I think was a huge takeaway, and it's something that I, I talk about or think about a lot and looking at cards, like when we see a card like Seize the Spoils in Kaldheim, it makes me think of Theros Beyond Death, where we had Traveler's Amulet plus Thrill of Possibility. And that was this sort of like package to take advantage of these powerful cards, right? So no matter what, you got to just like, you just splash around and played the bombs that you opened or got past and used Thrill of Possibility to either dig towards them or ditch them when you couldn't cast them. And I think those are are sort of tenets to take to other formats where you have powerful cards like that. Yeah, I think the other thing that really stands out about Theros Beyond Death is GP New Jersey, one of the last GPs before... COVID. Yeah. And you and I both won our last chance qualifier that we that we entered the same one. So we got our two buys and then we both went eight and one on day one, which is pretty sick. Yeah. My my sealed pool was ridiculously bad. 
and somehow went eight and one. Much sicker for you. Like I had a nuts black green deck and you had a pile and I cannot believe you also went eight one. I just remember after every round sheepishly coming up to you and being like, well, I won again. <laughs> Shout out to Cobbled Wings. Yeah, Cobbled Wings. OP, holy cow. Yeah, the secret tech. I forgot about Cobbled yeah, Wings. Yeah, our secret sealed tech. All right, number nine here. I'm going to have to... Uh put my tail between my legs we've got dominaria just in the mid tier here and honestly like i think this is just here because the sets below it are worse not because i'm a huge fan of this i i don't like i loved dominaria at the time having returned to it multiple times i really don't think it it stands up and then that's just probably largely because of you know we've had some some really strong limited formats in the past three years or whatever since the set came out so anyway uh let's get to the best deck Blue Red Wizards by, I think, a lot. Maybe the next best deck is like Black Green Sapperlings or whatever. But Blue Red Wizards was king. Well, and just blue, right? Yeah. I think the best deck is like Blue Red Wizards is the best deck. And then I think the next best deck is Blue X, right? Yeah, like bl- Blue Black could do some things. Blue White Tempo is very good. Even Blue Green Ramp, very good. Yeah, all, all four blue decks were great. And blue was just insanely, insanely overpowered. Right. I had a really rough start to this format. And then I remember discovering my love for Blue White and Raf Capuchin. Yeah. Yeah, this will always uh, have a special place in my heart as I think the only set that I was ever better than you at um, <laughs> in terms of That's when we were like not keep, true. Well, back in the day when we were keeping track of our uh, our win rates and stuff pretty heavily. I mean, you were you were always the quality and I was always the quantity. Like I was just putting in those reps, <laughs> just trying to figure out what to do. And you were like, I'm just going to be trophying over and over and over again. Um, but yeah, this was a. Uh, this was definitely a format where you want to draft blue. And this is the sort of start of whatever. I mean, we're, we're calling it the Golden Egg Award these days in the 50 Takes episode. But Skittering Surveyor is the first of these like colorless common fixers that were super high picks. You know, environmental sciences sort of slots into this category as well from Strixhaven. But Skittering Surveyor is the OG. Yeah, as the three minute one, two that lets you search up a basic whenever it ETB'd. You were championing this, I think, before anyone else. Well, I, I, I hope so. I'd love that to be the legend that we uh, take with us. Um, but yeah, this card is great. Best pack one, pick one common in the set. There were also a lot of cool build arounds in Dominaria, were there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like the, you know, Tatiova or all of the like gold uncommons, I think were really sweet or maybe not all, but some of them like forgetting the name, but the red black one that like had flash and returned all the things that died back to your hand. Like you could do some some cool loop to loop stuff. Um, Lich's mastery, of course. So there were like good rares too. There were lots of cool build arounds. It's just the problem is, and the reason and we should say like why the format doesn't stand up is the commons are largely garbage. And so you have a lot of games. I mean, I hate to, I really want to stop using Prince Pauper as like ways to describe sets. Um, but you just do have a lot of games that are invalidated by some rare, right? You think you're just like playing a normal game of magic and then some game warping thing hits and can you interact with it and maybe that game warping thing is like icy manipulator and you're just like oh no i can't beat this card you know right some of it was even just that the best uncommons were so good right Right. in bolus's clutches or fight with fire and then being able to rebuy fight with fire with your common yeah so yeah dominaria number nine moving on to number eight we've got rivals of ixalan Best deck in Rivals of Ixalan, Esper City's Blessing, baby. Uh, love me. Some Sailor Means. Love me getting those permanents. We missed on City's Blessing pretty hard. So this was a mechanic that uh, cared about you having 10 or more permanents. All right, once you got your 10th permanent, if you had something that cared about the City's Blessing, then you got the City's Blessing, and then you had it for the rest of the game, and it like granted bonuses to some cards. And this was the last of the like big set, small set thing, right? You know, that 
from Rivals of Ixalan onward, we just had triple set, right? Didn't do this like big set, small set split. And this was a cool uh, way to change up the format. You know, Ixalan was like hyper aggressive and then Rivals of Ixalan really slowed things down. Yeah, one of my favorite episodes was Avoiding the Aggro Trap, which we came out, you know, I think the week after Rivals of Ixalan came out where everyone was still trying to just jam all these two drops and it just wasn't the best thing to do. Yeah, for sure. And this is, I think, the, the last or only set where like two drops didn't matter, the two drops were not good. They got invalidated too quickly by the three drops. We haven't really had a set like this since then. We haven't really had a set like this ever other than this one when doing the podcast. So this was super unique. Yeah, I just remember having your three drop slot being stretched for days. Like the best decks had 10, 12, 13 three drops. That's well, off the back of, I mean, you know, Sailor of Means was not good in Ixalan, as we'll get to in just a second. And it, it appeared again in Rivals, and it was so, so strong because the 1 4 body just held off. You know, you had all these like, you know, weird, evasive ish two drops, but they were like two ones, right? And so, like, you stick a 1 4 on the battlefield and it just laughs at those two ones. Yeah, the other card that definitely sticks in my mind, there's actually two cards from Rivals of Ixalan that stick into my mind as particularly unfun to play against. And the first is Tetsamok, which you could reveal for a single black to put a prey counter on your opponent's things. And then when you cast it, it killed everything on ETB that had a prey counter on it. So your opponent just knew for like several turns in advance that they were going to lose this bomb. You could side in counter spells against it. But, you know, if you did that, you felt awesome. But it was very difficult to beat a Tetsamok. Mm-hmm. And there was also Profane Procession, which was oh, super depressing to play against as well. Yeah, I forgot about that card. I forgot about those flip lands. The the, the blue green one was also really obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, those cards were rough. So I think, you know, Rivals of Ixalan was super fun. And obviously, as a, a format where you could dirtle, you could splash around with treasure. I liked it a lot. The small set thing really made it stale. Like, I remember being like super high on the format the first, whatever, 50, 75 drafts. And I think about the time I hit 100, I was like, oh gosh, this is getting old. Like, you know, you're just seeing the same stuff over and over again. And that's a a product of the small set thing. So I'm glad they're not doing that anymore. Yes, I completely agree. All right. Number seven. Here's our hot take. Hot take. Ixalan. Greater than Rivals of Ixalan for us. I'm into it. Yeah. I couldn't quite remember the best deck. The first thing I thought of was like Bishop Soldier plus one with the wind as like blue white auras. But I think black white vampires was the best deck, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that seems right to me. I think black white vampires was the best, but I think blue white was more consistently open and a little less contested and also like not discovered by the mass populace until much later in the format. Right. Because Ixalan was sort of pitched as the, it was sort of like pitched as a tribal set, right? You had vampires, you had dinosaurs. And so I think people were trying to do that. You had like explore was a mechanic, but you didn't really get to do that and draft that much in terms of like the payoffs of like wild growth Walker or the, the Chupacabra. Um, that was like a, a fan favorite of mine. And I loved that deck, but it just didn't come together very often. Top commons and pirates, Cutlass and Hammer Skull. This was just aggro the format. This was the first format that taught me how to aggro. And I th- I would say shout out to Ryan Sachs and uh, Sasha, aka Dude, on Twitch in terms of like sort of teaching me about the format. And then I think you and I like took those teachings and packaged them into our our Beard episode for the set. Yeah. So Beard was super fun. I remember brainstorming with you about this episode that we were going to put out. And we were just trying to think up. We knew what we wanted to do, but we were trying to figure out a way to package it neatly. And I think Beard was it. I think it was great. So rather than bread, which is like the normal acronym that people, you know, learn to draft with, which is bombs, removal, 
evasion abilities dudes or you know depending on what region of the country you're from (laughs) different things Mm -hmm. um but beard was bombs and then the enhancements like pirates cutlass or one with the wind then aggression and then removal later and then dudes and this was where we got i think some pushback about you know removal not being good and this is where that that whole mentality started for us of you know removal might not be the best commons because it really wasn't in ixalan yeah i mean all the removal is super overcosted. that was one of the big shifts from ixalan to rivals is like you went from like your four mana pacifism to a three mana one you went from a spell in red that was five mana that dealt four to a spell in red that was three mana that dealt four you know like everything's got reduced and that's why rivals of ixalan slowed down but all the removal in ixalan was super overcosted. yeah and I think even though it wasn't the best thing to do in the format, you could mess around a lot and just set up defenses. And there were some sweet mana sinks. There weren't a lot of mana sinks, but they were very powerful. Well, there were all these like flip artifacts like the compass or conqueror's galleon, like these artifacts that flipped into lands. I remember doing a lot of dirtily stuff late in the format and just like feeling like a 2-1 was a 3-0. Like you just felt like <laughs> you got away with something if you could win with all these stupid cards. There was like a there was a butts deck like belligerent brontosaurus was this uh, green white card that had all your creatures like deal damage equal to their toughness so then you like paired that with sailor means and a bunch of stuff like you could do some sweet stuff it wasn't the best thing to do but i i think this format got a real i think there's like only three people or whatever in the world that like this format that would be happy to have it come back and you and i are two of them i am all about ixalan yeah so triple ixalan apologists here on the podcast and that is going to be the last of our mid-tier so i think these last six are our our top tier formats of the past four years. Coming in in last place in the top tier, number six, this is Ravnica Allegiance. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, if we're knocking all these guild sets like Guilds of Ravnica or Strixhaven, Ravnica Allegiance does separate itself from the pack in terms of the amount of decks that you could draft and I think the depth of the format. The best deck was Orzov Afterlife. I mean, uh, a lot of the cards at common were really strong, but I do think probably the biggest offender at rare was Ethereal absolution this is four white black for an enchantment creatures you control get plus one plus one creatures your opponent control get minus one minus one and then you could like pay two white black to exile a card from an opponent's graveyard and if it's a creature you got a one one white and black spirit creature token with flying which was the whole afterlife thing your stuff died into these one one tokens i I remember at, at the gp for this format like just everybody being like oh yeah how many ethereal absolutions have you faced or did you open that card like that felt like the thing for the format yeah that rare was miserable to play against this is also the format with dovin's acuity oh baby dovin's acuity there's one white blue for an enchantment when it enters the battlefield you gain two life and draw a card whenever you cast an instant spell during your main phase you can return dovin's acuity to its owner's hand and i remember this card like this was like a joke right because this was the opposite of the enchantment for Demir in Guilds of Ravnica. And that card was insane. And so you look at this and you're like, ah, this is cute. I get the joke, but this isn't going to be a good card. But this was like, this was the best deck in the format. I guess, honestly, that was true, right? It's not white, black, like came together the most. But when you got the loop to loop Dovin's Acuity, clear the mind deck, you just felt like you were playing a different game than your opponent. Right. And I think we were the first ones on clear the mind. It was two and a blue target player shuffles their library into their graveyard and draw a card. And I remember talking to you about Clear the Mind and saying, like, I think this card's good because I remember being in situations where, you know, if my opponent had another Clear the Mind, I just couldn't win. 
And then we started to put that together. And then you found the Dovin's Acuity piece of the puzzle. This was a really, really cool deck. Yeah, this was really sweet. And that, that was part of the reason why this format, I think, had a lot of staying power was, you know, it's a guild set, but the guilds had different flavors, right? In terms of your green decks could be your splishy splash deck because you had uh, open the gates, which let you tutor up a land or a gate. Um, so that helped you fix. So you could have like your streamlined green, red and green, blue aggro decks, but you could also have your green, red or green, blue X gates decks and the gate payoffs at uncommon really good gate Colossus or, you know, uh, the, the, the Ram that grew with each gate or gates ablaze the like sweeper. So you had that stuff, but even within the, um, the guilds in blue, white, you had, okay, are you an acuity deck? Are you a high alert deck? Are you just a, a blue, white skies deck, right? There was a lot of different flavors among the decks in this set. Right. I absolutely agree. And this was another one that was just really broken by the bots, right? In the first two or three weeks, it was gates the format because the bots didn't take gates at all. And you could end up with 15, 16, 17 gates just super easily because you were wheeling them all. And then they changed it, and then it was really hard to get the gates deck. It was just, the format was always weird on Arena with the bots, but it was very good to draft, I think, with, you know, a table on MTGO or something. Yeah, for sure. So I will always have a special place in my heart for Ravnica Allegiance and Dovin's Acuity. Moving on to number five, we've got Call Time. Yeah, which I don't think I quite appreciated how good of a format this was at the time that it was out. I think I maybe got a little sick of it or something uh, towards the end, but I do think this really... It holds up in terms of when you look at the whole picture of the sets that we've had the past four years. Yeah, I think it's one of the formats that has changed and evolved the most mm -hmm. as it went on. And it just had a lot of depth. I think, you know, best decks, depending on where you were in the format evolution, certainly Sultai Snow in the beginning with the Snowlands and the cards that, you know, gave you payoffs for having Snowlands, that sort of thing. But then Snow got pretty contested or overhyped or something. And, you know, Red White Aggro with some equipment, also very, very good. And then we had the big format metagame shifts and you even got like this, the discovery of black green elves in the last month of the set which was pretty cool yeah shout out to jasper sentinel mox emerald baby mox emerald with types baby uh this definitely like checks a lot of the boxes of that eight characteristics of a great limited format right colorless mana fixing lands as viable draft picks strong removal definitely had uncommons worth building around definitely had synergy decks also had graveyard interaction right there was just lots of stuff going on with call time and was was a pretty sweet format i think in terms of draft in and draft out getting to do different stuff getting to like take a card and have agency over where the draft went because the common power level was largely flat there's a lot to like about call time i think yeah shout out to gold vein pick and desi for championing that deck and that archetype i think by the end gold vein pick was a little misunderstood and maybe <laughs> a little overrated but definitely was its own thing that you could do in the format and you know in terms of these slam dunk limited mechanics we keep getting foretell is another great one right it helps you mitigate screw and flood seraph's packmate was super op because of this um before tell was just a really fun way to like just make sure you can use your mana every single turn imagine not putting Cyril's packmate in your top green commons i can't i can imagine that a dear friend of mine did that <laughs> yeah call time was great yeah for sure moving on to number four we've got the og our first set Hour of Devastation. Now, how much of this is nostalgia, do you think? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to miss that five-star restaurant ranking. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. We're never going to live that down. Okay, so the best deck in this set, I think, was five-color green. 
maybe nipping at its heels was blue red spells but i'll i'll go down with five color green as the best deck i think i would also put my money on five color green but blue red spells was very good as well yeah and sort of i think baited us into like every other set when was what was the there was a core set that had riddle form and a lot of those pieces come back and it just didn't get there in that set no and i remember you know being on a journey with the set with blue red spells right we didn't understand how good riddle form was because i remember doing this was back in the day when we did the pt draft reviews and i remember analyzing pvddr's draft and he took riddle form pretty highly and we were kind of like i don't know about that but then turns out like he just knew what was up and riddle form was great right yeah, for sure. Um, this was the first format, and we don't get this a lot, but the first format to have noticeable metagame shifts, right? Five color green emerged as the best deck, and then it got super overdrafted to the point where I was avoiding green for like a solid two weeks. Yeah, so that five color green was also super unique in that it could splash double pipped cards, right? Because you had Oasis Ritualist that could exert to give you two mana of any one color. And then in the Amonkhet pack, you could also get Gift of Paradise, right? Which lets your land tap for two mana of any single color that you chose. Right, yeah. I, I mean, Amonkhet was another super aggressive set, and then HOU sort of slowed things down. And finally, my like triple Gift of Paradise decks were good, whereas when I was drafting them in Amonkhet, they were perhaps not good. Um, <laughs> yeah, really strong removal at common in HOU, in Ambuscade, and Open Fire. Like we talked about with Rivals of Ixalan, like HOU really slowing things down and like flipping the script on Triple Amonkhet. That was a cool thing to see with the big set, small set, um, as this was the second to last iteration of that. Um, you had the cycling deserts at common, which were super cool. There was a lot to like about this format. I don't remember this set getting stale the way Rivals did. No, and the cycling lands just ended up being the top commons in their colors a lot too, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, you just like loved the desert payoffs, but then also there was like, because all the desert stuff cared about it either being in play or in your graveyard, right? So you weren't punished for cycling them. So there wasn't that tension, which was a really A plus design. Then there was also like a cycling discard mechanic or theme to the set that that also played into. They were just super duper versatile oh yeah that blue black cycling deck mm -hmm. and there were also just a lot of sweet build arounds too right yeah a lot of really fun build arounds a lot of them at rare because it was a small set um but yeah a lot of really cool things though like sar sarcophagus as a reason to draft the blue black cycling deck i remember that for sure imminent doom you remember that card the enchantment i remember imminent yeah. doom. yeah yeah there was a lot of fun stuff in hour of devastation a lot of bombs too like just straight up bombs but you had good removal to mitigate it I, I thought it was a pretty balanced set i remember it it came it like flashed back to mtgo a couple years ago and i played it for that week and it, it really held up cool all right takes us into our top three coming in at number three always going to be a personal favorite of mine we've got war of the spark yeah again i couldn't quite decide on the best deck i know grixis was king right that that combination of colors so any of those three decks i have essentially put red black here what do you think yeah red black's my default for the best deck yeah just a lot of really good stuff there a mass you had a ton of really good commons but yeah red blue and black definitely ahead of the pack there some color disparity here white was definitely the worst of the bunch and green was really more of an off-ramp in terms of ah, stuff's not coming together let me do a multicolor green deck um but the grixis decks were super sweet and this was the start of your patented phrase ben board presence people yeah absolutely gotta get on board you just had to play a two drop so that you didn't lose to your opponent's planeswalkers i think that was the most misunderstood thing about this format right everyone was like off it because it was like bombs and super overpowered you know i remember lr talking about how you just had to hold on to your liliana dreadhorde general for life and that just was not the format that i felt like i was playing 
if you got on board early with commons and you had board presence, you had game against all of these planeswalkers that people were playing, and you could beat those sick rares that were coming down on turn four, turn five, turn six, because so much of it was about leveraging your board position to be able to interact favorably with your opponent's planeswalkers. You know, I remember getting to the point in the format where I was just kind of okay if I didn't have planeswalkers because I didn't have to deal with protecting them. Right, yeah. And that's why the two drops were so important because not only were they there to protect your own walkers, but also super important to be able to pressure your opponent's walkers as well. I think this was the first set where enacting preferences felt really good. This was the first set where I was like, yeah, drafting with preferences, dealing like trying to get into red, black, blue, black, or blue, red was really important, I think, unless, you know, you opened up a time wipe or whatever. Right. Oh, time wipe. Time wipe. Time wipe and God Eternal Oketra were the two reasons to draft white in the format. Yeah. You and I also had a couple all time bangers of decks in this format. Okay. So, Eight Cat will be the best deck I've ever drafted in a limited <laughs> format, period. So, this was a deck that had eight copies of Charmed Stray, which was a one mana one one. And when another copy of Charmed Stray entered the battlefield, you got to put a plus plus one counter on each other copy of Charmed Stray. And so, we got eight of them in a draft where uh, I had you uh, on the line on a Discord call. And And then I got to, I think this is the greatest piece of content I've ever been a part of, (laughs) is getting to just like heckle you while you piloted this insane plain wide celebration, like three, four color monstrosity, loop to loop, too much deck for you to handle deck. It was way too much deck for me to handle. That's on my Twitch VOD still, I think, saved as a highlight somewhere. So if you want to be entertained and, and relive some more of the Spark Glory days, go check that out. So, so good. All right, moving on to number two. A set that I think I had a, maybe a bit of a roller coaster with in terms of my my love for the worst color, but we're looking at a Coria here, which I think again is a set that gets a bad rap. So the best deck, obviously red white cycling, but it wasn't as OP or, or format warping or like unbeatable as I think people made it out to be. Yeah, I think this format was good. I mean, red white cycling was underdrafted for a lot of the format, almost the entire format somehow. Yeah. But I think the red-white cycling gameplay was really interesting. I I loved playing red-white cycling mirrors, and I loved when I was not red-white cycling trying to beat those cycling decks. They were just super interesting, intense matchups. Yeah, I think the biggest offender in this format is Zenith Flare at Uncommon. But beyond that, I did not find this format egregious in that sense of like, oh, this like one deck is like bullying the rest of the decks. And there's so much to love about the format. So one, cycling is a great mechanic in terms of you know, mitigating mana flood or mana screw, right? Like you just always get to go, okay, I can I can cycle these cards away to try and hit my land drops or whatever, or to dig towards my spells that matter or whatever. You just get this modality on all these cards. Well, and we're just burying the lead here, right? Because companions are awesome. Yes. I think they are the best build around cards for draft ever. Right. You just get to always have the, you build around this thing and then you always get to have it, right? Like the one of the problems is, you know, think about AFR. Okay, I'm going to build the sweet, dice rolling deck with Feywild Trickster. Well, what if you never see your Feywild Trickster? Companions didn't have that problem. You always had them in your opening hand. And even after the nerf, you know, it, it nerfed some of them, like the the Umori, the black green one that cared about creatures or whatever, nerfed that one pretty hard. But most of them by and large, even just like thinking about them as divination, right? With the nerf, the three mana to put it into your hand, that was still pretty darn good for limited. Right, yeah. Well, and just the way they changed your pick orders too, right? The, I think how you drafted Akoria f- changed so much based on 
the type of deck you were drafting. There were not like solid pick orders that you could follow necessarily because these companions shook things up so much or the cycling deck shook things up so much. It was just a really, really cool, really deep format. Yeah, and then you also had the allied color pair like Mechanic Matters, like Red Black Menace, but Red Black could also do the sack thing. You had the White Green Vigilance deck, which we loved, with Alert Heed Bonder. There was, I, I really loved the Blue Black Flash deck when I got to open a Slither Wisp. Like, there was a, there's a lot of really good stuff to like about Akoria, I think. Yeah, and I think one of the knocks against it is that Mutate never quite got there. And it was weird because, you know, mutating was the first thing I did. And when you did it, you were like, oh my God, this is awesome. Like you just got this huge dopamine rush of like killing your opponent with this huge monster. Like, and I do think they nailed that aspect of the format, but it just wasn't reliable compared to, you know, the power level of the cycling deck or just even in a Mardu humans sacrifice thing. Those came together so much more reliably at common. And this was the first set with human drafts on arena. Yeah. Which was really sweet. That was like, I, th- I think that caught us all by surprise. And that was like what moved you and I over to arena almost exclusively. Um, and I haven't really looked back since. It's great to have human drafts on arena. Yeah. I love, love, love Ikoria. Just like looking at this list and talking about it. I don't know. You know we were we were dickering and dealing on the, the top three here. I think Ikoria might be my number one. Yeah, I was surprised. I was surprised that you seeded it. I didn't, I thought, I, I think this is, your number one. I was we we had a different order for our top three, and I think that's okay. But yeah, I I mean I felt pretty strongly about number one. Yeah, I'm 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 changing it. I'm calling Icoria as my number one. Pulling an audible mid show. All right, number one for me sounds like number two for Ben. Throne of Eldraine, baby, the goat. I think, and one of the reasons is best deck. I think the answer is the open deck for your seat. Yeah, I think that is true. I don't even know what the best deck is. Like obviously against the bots. It's Merfolk Secret Keeper Mill or whatever. And that's the reason this format has such a bad rap is that people just remember this as Mill Drain. And that's really not the like whole picture of the set. Like Red White Knights was good, but this is really like there are actually 15 viable archetypes. And then even more than that, if you think about splashing or like three plus color decks, right? You have the 10 color pairs that are all good or viable. And then you have five monocolor decks too. Well, and monocolor decks with a light splash. This is the format where your mana base mattered almost more than anything else. It taught you so much about playing good mana bases. Right, yeah. You had these like, you know, 11, 7 splits. You would play 18 lands just for sources in a two-color deck, which is kind of crazy. You had to think about these like, you know, what what was it? Adamant was the mechanic that cared about you like having spending three mana of one color on a thing to get a bonus. And so that made you had to slant your mana one way or the other. Yeah, very, very uh, like by, you know, pick two, you're already thinking about your mana base. Well, and then it also had adventure as just this insanely good mechanic for limited right yeah i mean you had these aggro decks that were playing like 28 29 spells and 18 lands because all your adventure spells had two effects and like you know you think about all right tap two things down then i get to play this two three flyer or whatever or get to have a combat trick and then play a two one like you got these really good uh aggressive adventure cards and then adventure was just sweet across the board yeah there were also just a ton of good build around rares right there was dance of the mance which was super sweet as a and you know an artifact and enchantment build around there was fires of invention that everybody thought was terrible and then you know ended up being really good but yeah 
had all the adventure build arounds like Innkeeper or Lucky Clover, those sorts of things. You had the food build arounds and Trail of Crumbs. There were just a lot of sweet things to do. Yeah. And you could mill and that was like a viable thing and people just hate getting milled and like Merfolk, Secret Keeper, a couple of those and a runaway together. That was a way to win a game of magic. You didn't say please as a, you know, another control piece. And so that was a good deck and a viable strategy, but it wasn't the be all and end all. I think it just like the combination of it being underdrafted and it being a feel bad left it being like the thing that people think about when they think about this set. And I think there's just so, so, so much more to uh, to discover in this format. Oh, yeah. There was white aggro. There were tons of things to keep that blue deck in check. I, I really do agree. I think it was whatever was open for your seat. And as far as a draft experience, I think this is definitely the best draft experience, right? Yeah, because there's just, there's nothing, like we go from something like Strixhaven at, towards the bottom of our list where it's like, there's like two decks that like I'm happy to draft or whatever. <laughs> and then Throne of Eldraine, you're just like, the world is my oyster. Like the commons are good, but they're synergistic. There's build arounds that warp your pick order. There's like just good aggro decks. You can draft actual control decks. The food stuff kept aggro in check as well sometimes, but then there's like tension in terms of dumping mana into it. You could splash because of golden egg. You could delay the decision because there were so many artifacts. Like there's a lot to love about this format. Yeah, this was the start of uh, golden egg and hashtag delay the decision, right? Yeah, I mean, the, you just had, I mean, even like Scalding Cauldron, right? The one mana artifact then pay three to deal three damage to something. Like you just, you had a lot of options in terms of like, all right, I'm going to start by drafting around this awesome rare or I'm just going to like take a few artifacts and see what's open. Yeah, very, very, very good format. Yeah, love Throne of Eldraine. But these top three, Throne, Akoria, and War of the Spark. Those are the three, I think, best sets we've had the experience of drafting. Yeah, they are very good. Yeah, that was sweet. That was a fun one. Yeah, just a nice little trip down memory lane. And if you've got your own order, be sure to get at us in the uh, <laughs> Lords Limited Discord or on Twitter. Yeah, for sure. We'd love to hear. This is a fun exercise, I think. All right. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to Channel Fireball for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben's at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. Both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback back about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later